0: You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. All right, guys, let's jump in. Week number three of devoted as we're learning to live as the early church did. And so we're going all the way back to Acts chapter two. Um, We've read it for two weeks, three weeks. This is gonna be week number four. You guys are gonna have this memorized by the time that we're done, right? So Acts chapter two, let's start with verse 42. It's gonna be on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you, but it says all the believers devoted themselves to what? What are they devote to? The apostles' teachings, the fellowship, the sharing in meals, and the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. It says, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had, and all the believers, they sold their property, their possessions, shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple. When? Each day every day, not just Sunday. And then they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship, their community, those who were being saved. So what did the people do? They devoted. What did God do? He added We devote, God adds. We're responsible for obedience. He's responsible for results. And so as we've been walking in this series, there's some things that we've looked at. We've looked at being devoted, living a life of devotion calls for us to live differently, to live consecrated, that we live separate, set apart for the things of God, that we're intentional, we take action um, in things like community. (laughs) We gather together on Sunday mornings in large groups, but then we also gather together throughout the week from home to home, coffee shop to coffee shop, because there's edification that takes place when we're in a, a large room with a large group worshiping together. I took my middle daughter to the worship night this past week with Brandon Lake and, and Phil Wickham and KB, and man, just like thousands of people singing gratitude at the very end. It's just so edifying when we're in a large group singing together, but then there's also some spiritual formation that takes place when we're in the smaller groups because there's intimacy that's going on. And then last week we talked about within the body we have to serve each other. We serve each other from our passions, our gifts and abilities. Then we also know that when we're in a family we, we have a responsibility to serve in some areas, but neither one of those are as important as when we're serving from a place of love. We serve from a place of love because of what Christ has done for us, but also what he's called us to do for others. That if we love the people that we go to church with, if we love the community of faith that we're a part of, we serve them, not just come and be served, right? That we all belong to each other. But they're not gathering together in the early church and they're not serving each other just because it's fun and it feels good. There's a purpose to it. And so today we're going to talk about what that purpose is. There is an engine that is in the midst of the church being built. It's not just because it was something fun to do, there is a message that is going forth that is changing hearts and changing lives. And, and when Jesus gets ready to ascend into heaven, by Matthew's account, Jesus tells the disciples this He says, to go into all the world baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, make disciples and teach other people to do what I've told you to do, right? And he, he, he tells the, the disciples something similar in Luke chapter 1. Um, he tells the disciples to stay in Jerusalem, stay here. I'm going away, but I want you to stay here until God gives the promise that he has promised, which is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, while you're waiting, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my, what is that word? My, my witnesses. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so he's saying, look, stay in Jerusalem because this is where it's going to start. This is where you're going to be witnesses first. And it's going to start in Jerusalem as the epicenter, and then it's going to expand into the ends of the earth. And that's your responsibility. And so we know after he ascends into heaven, it says that there were about 120 gathered together in the upper room For the celebration of Pentecost. And we know it now as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but to them, it was a celebration of the harvest. It was again a celebration of the harvest under the new covenant, right? And so they're waiting, and they're praying, and the Holy Spirit is poured out, and they begin to speak in other tongues, and really, they're speaking in other languages of the people that are there because all the Jews from all different backgrounds, all different cultures would come. They spoke different languages, but they all came to Jerusalem as kind of a pilgrimage to celebrate this. And so the Holy Spirit is poured out. All the disciples that are praying begin speaking in other tongues, but it's not foreign, it's not a heavenly language. It is the actual languages of people that are there, and they are declaring, the apostles and disciples don't know this, they are declaring the goodness and the glory of God's works in other languages but don't know. So in that moment, their witnessing begins. And so it begins to move from that moment from Jerusalem, working its way to the ends, of the earth. And so this happens, and they're saying, Oh, these guys are drunk. They're not like doing anything. Why? And Peter steps forward. And I love what it says in Acts 2 1 4, uh, 2, 14. It says, Peter steps forward with the 11 other apostles, and he says, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. So he steps forward, and we know that he gives the very first sermon of the church, and thousands are added. But then the very next chapter in Acts chapter 3, there is a miracle that's performed at church in the temple, and people are just amazed at this this man that was lame, begging for money, is now healed, running around and praising God. And this is what Acts 3.12 says, Peter saw his opportunity and he addressed the crowd. So he just didn't perform a miracle and go on and perform another miracle. He didn't just let the tongues of fire and the other languages speak for itself. In both instances, he stepped forward and he gave a message. Guess what that message was? The gospel. That message was the good news. And we see this repeated over and over and over throughout the book of Acts. As the church is growing, we see that there are miracles And then the gospel is presented. We see that there is tribulation, there's arrest, there's confrontation, but then we see that the gospel is presented. Every time something like this happens, the gospel is presented. There is a saint, I think it's St. Francis of Assisi, has this quote. It says, speak or share the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. And so there is so much truth in that, that everything that we say and do, if we are following Jesus, everything that we say and do should be communicating the gospel and how we interact with each other and how we interact with our server after church on Sunday, right? And how we interact with our server on Thursday night at Buffalo Wild Wings when it's really crowded and it's really slow, right? I'm not jaded at all, right? But how we interact when necessary. So speak the gospel, preach the gospel at all all times. When necessary, use words. Now, I will be honest with you. There was a season in my life where I hid behind that quote because I was afraid to use words because it doesn't say don't use words. There comes a time when there's a necessity to share and to speak the gospel. And so Peter recognized There's a miracle here. They need to understand why that miracle is happening. So he said he took the opportunity when he saw it. And so we see this replicated over and over and over. So I want to help all of us in here understand the gospel as they presented it. And for some of us, you may have this down pat, but probably for more than a number of us that like to admit we may not completely understand how they were presenting the gospel. And there were specific elements that was in in the gospel as they were sharing it, in the story of who Jesus is and what he did. And, and, And the first thing that we see them doing is they always declared that the Old Testament promises have been fulfilled in the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. That within this book, from Genesis to Malachi. There are all these promises that, that God has for his people, starting with Abraham, that he would be the father of many nations, that he would be blessed by nations and bless others, all the way through to David, who said that he would always have a descendant on the throne. These were promises given to God's people. and The disciples and the apostles, when giving the gospel, they always spoke that Jesus's life ministry, death, resurrection, ascension was the fulfillment of everything they were looking forward to. And we see that in 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 Acts chapter eight, when Philip, who was just a servant, he was a waiter handing out bread, has the opportunity to start to, to start evangelizing. There's a eunuch in a chariot who's reading the book of Isaiah. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah, where Isaiah talks about that the Savior, the Messiah, would be led like a sheep to the slaughter. And he's like, I don't understand this. And the Holy Spirit tells Philip to go get in the chariot. So he gets in the chariot. And it says, Philip begins with that passage in the Old Testament and explained all of God's promises through Jesus in that moment. And we see this time and time again when the gospel is presented. We have to understand that it is the fulfillment of all of God's promises in the Old Testament. But in addition to that, we also see that they are declaring that God has exalted Jesus over all things with all authority. That when Jesus died and was buried, it's one thing for him to be resurrected. That would be an incredible, it was an incredible miracle, is an incredible miracle, but it did not end there that God then rose him to a place of authority, lifted him to a place of not just subtle authority, a little authority, but no, he was lifted to complete and total authority over all the heavens and all the earth. And so they are always presenting that because they're talking to these religious leaders who think they have all authority. They're talking to these religious leaders who think they understand scripture and they're still waiting on the one who has all authority to come. And the disciples are like, no, he's already been here and he is already seated at the right hand of the father, the ultimate place of authority. And so we see the third thing that's always is that once this is given, all of God's promises have been fulfilled. Jesus has ultimate authority over everything. Then there is a proper response to this gospel. And the proper response is one of repentance from sin and faith in Jesus. It is one of repentance, and repentance is actually a military word which means to turn away from. So we repent from sin, we turn away from sin, and we turn towards God. God's still with me, right? There has to be a choice. Because to not choose, guess what you're doing? You're choosing. There there, there has to be a choice. And you may remember the first time you heard the gospel message and something on the inside of you made you make a choice or something on the inside of you kept you from making a choice. Guess what that non-choice was? It was a choice. And I've heard a pastor say this past week that... That a lot of times in church, we will make this statement when we're presenting the gospel. We encourage people to choose Jesus as their Lord. If he is Lord, we don't get to choose whether or not he is Lord. He already is Lord. We simply accept him being Lord. We acknowledge that he is Lord of our life. We don't get to choose him because he is Lord over our life. But we acknowledge His lordship. We don't get to choose. We don't get to put Him on the throne. He's already on the place of authority. We just acknowledge that He is there, and so we have to make a decision, and we have to make a choice. And no choice is a choice against. That's a scary thing to be. I remember just to kind of lighten the mood. Like I, I remember when I got saved in sixth grade. It was at one of those high school football like evangelist events. It's like thousands of teenagers where it felt like it. It might have been like 75, right? But as a sixth grader, it just felt like it was full. And the evangelist they had was Elvis Presley's stepbrother. Any other Southern Baptist folks remember when he was making the circuits, right? No, just me, okay. That's all we could get in Hardin County, right? And and so he made the the offer, and it it was this. It was like, if you were to die tonight, ask your neighbor, if they were to die tonight, would they go to heaven or hell? That was my first salvation experience. I didn't want to go to hell. It was made out of fear. But scripture says it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance, right? But we are always faced with a choice. Do we accept Jesus lordship? Do we accept who he is or do we deny it? And if we say, ah, uh, I'm gonna wait, that's a denial, right? That's a denial. Okay, let's, let's move on. The fourth thing is this, is those who accept Jesus Are forgiven and made right. So when we make that decision to accept Jesus's lordship, the sacrifice that He made, we are forgiven. We have faith, and we are made right with Him. Paul and Barnabas, when they're preaching um, about who Jesus is, and He says, "Like through Jesus, there is forgiveness, and everyone who believes in Him is declared." right with God. Another passage says, anyone and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I looked up the Greek meaning of anyone and everyone. Guess what it means? Anyone and everyone. So it's not just some, it's just not a few. It's it's any of us that have heard this gospel message and it resonates within us and we are faced with a decision. Do we want to accept him as Lord, accept his forgiveness or not? If we do, then we are saved and we are made right with God. Well, I've still got some areas in my life I gotta clean up. You're absolutely right. Until you take your last breath here, you will always have areas in your life that you will have to clean up. And here's the good thing. When we say yes to Jesus, we're not doing it on our own because we can't, right? And so we receive forgiveness. And then the fifth thing that we see as the apostles are sharing the gospel is there. The apostles were witnesses of Jesus's ministry, death, resurrection, and they are his chosen ambassadors. Every time they're confronted with Jesus's story, one of the last things they say is we are witnesses to all of this. We are witnesses to everything that we have seen and everything that we have heard. We have to repeat everything that we have seen and everything that we have heard. And so, you and I, as followers of Christ, we are those witnesses. We have to repeat what we have seen and what we have heard. And so, as the gospel is going out, all right, as the gospel is going out, things are changing lives, families, communities are being completely transformed because not because miracles are happening, not because persecution is happening, but because the message of who Christ is is going forth because the gospel, listen, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, not the miracles. The miracles just kind of open the door. The miracles spark the interest. But we see that when the miracle happens, salvation comes after the message of the gospel is proclaimed. Because the message of salvation and the power of salvation is in the gospel. In the gospel. And and here's something that's very helpful. In Romans 10, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We've declared that. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? People don't know what they don't know until someone tells them what they don't know. Did you follow that, right? People don't know And they can't know what they need to know unless someone tells them. And so for you and I, listen, church, those of us who are followers of Jesus, as a disciple, the mandate doesn't change for us just because we live in 2023. The mandate doesn't change for us just because we have air conditioning and comfy chairs and technology, right? We still have a responsibility to be his witnesses in Murfreesboro, Smyrna, Nashville, Louisville to the ends of the earth. That's our call because the power of salvation is in the gospel. Now, here's the awesome thing for me. The power of the gospel is in the name of Jesus, not in our own ability. The power of the gospel is in the name of Jesus, not in our own ability. So let that set you free. Because there might have been times where you felt like, I probably need to share Jesus with this person in your own terms. You're like, but what if I mess this up? <laughs> you're gonna mess it up the first time. You're gonna mess it up the second time. I've been doing this 20 years and sometimes I say the wrong thing. But that's because the power of the gospel is in the name of Jesus, not in my ability. When the man was healed in the temple, it says this man was healed by no other name but by the name of Jesus. When people were set free, when healings take place, healing takes place under no other name but the name of Jesus. Salvation comes at the name of Jesus. And even this, when the apostles, when the apostles were imprisoned and couldn't get out, they were actually released in the name of Jesus because their responsibility when they left prison was to do what? Go spread the gospel. And so let that set you free. It's not dependent on your ability. It's dependent on the power that is in the name of Jesus Christ. And when when, when we look at this story and the apostles are preaching and they're teaching and at, at one point they are arrested, multiple times they're arrested, but they're trying to decide what they're gonna do with them. Do we let them go? Do we, do we whip them? Do we imprison them? Do we execute them? And one of the religious leaders said, listen, look, let's leave it alone, because if it is God working, you can't stop it. If it is God working through these men, you can't stop it, and you could find yourself actually fighting against the things of God. And so the power in the name of Jesus is unbelievable. Unstoppable. Look at your neighbor and say, Unstoppable. It's unstoppable. unstoppable. And I love this. When we look from Acts 1 all the way even to today, there is one gospel, regardless of background or culture. There's one gospel message. It's Jesus, Christ crucified, buried, resurrected. There's what the story does not change, the message does not change. The same gospel that started in Acts chapter 2 has crossed seas has crossed oceans, has crossed continents, has outlasted generations, has been translated into hundreds if not thousands of different languages, and it is just as powerful now as it was then, and it does not change. There's one gospel. We're not sharing one gospel. Well, There have been other False gospels like the prosperity gospel, the poverty gospel, the purpose gospel, but they do not have the same power as the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that message is the one that saves and changes and frees again and again and again. Um, the last thing that we see happening as the gospel is going out, trials persecutions, and times of confusion are perfect opportunities for the gospel. Trials, persecution, and times of confusion are actually perfect opportunities for the gospel to go forth. Now, we would like to say, oh, that's a terrible time. Like, like, that's a te- like there's no way that's going to work. Read the book of Acts. Just when things were getting hard, that's when the gospel was actually moving the most. When the, religious, when the religious leaders thought they had the disciples and the apostles taken care of, when they were in prison, when there was a martyr, that was actually when the gospel went further. There was one point they were flogged and they didn't leave quietly. After the apostles were flogged, they left and went into the streets rejoicing that they had been flogged in the name of Jesus. And it says the believers multiplied rapidly that in times of persecution, the church grows. When Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned, not like stoned, but like rock stoned, right? When, when, when he was stoned and was martyred, listen, the church was terrified. and And Saul was going around persecuting. And it says that all the believers, like they fled in fear, essentially. So the community and the church that was being built got broken up out of fear. And so at one point, Saul, who became Paul, and the enemy thought, okay, we've, we've, we've quieted this. We've squashed it. But all the believers, when they spread out out of fear, they were emboldened and began to preach the gospel where they had went to hide. So it didn't even stop there. So the persecution actually made it spread even more. And the believers who were scattered, they preached the good news about, and it just seemed to make it, and so could it be that right now, would you say that we're in a season of confusion within our nation, right? We're, the church isn't necessarily in a season or a time of persecution, maybe offense, but I do, can I say, like, I do think that we are getting closer and closer and closer. It may not be in my lifetime, but it very well could be in our children's or our grandchildren's lifetime to where the church is facing persecution like what we see in other parts of the country. Um, and we can look at that, and we can just be like, oh, how horrible is that? Or we can say, what an awesome opportunity for lives to be changed. What an awesome opportunity for Jesus to be elevated. And it says says this in, in Acts chapter 420, and this is how it continued. This is how the gospel continued is it says, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. That's what a witness does. We can't stop telling it. And if you don't have anything to say about what God is doing in your life and you, like you have got to a place where you've stopped telling, then maybe we need to be following Jesus a little bit closer because if we're allowing the gospel power to work in our life, there should be healings. There should be freedom. There should be salvations. There should be miracles happening, things that we can tell others about that we have seen and heard, and we shouldn't ever stop talking about it. That's why you guys, like I probably tell some of the same stories over and over and over. It's because, man, God is so good. That there may be somebody that comes in for the first time and they've never heard that. So I want them to hear that. We should never stop telling what we've seen and what we've heard. And, and, and I'll close with this story in Acts chapter three, verses four and six. There's this crippled beggar. They're meeting daily at the temple courts and there's this crippled beggar that they bring in all the time. And in this particular day, he's, he's placed at one of the gates. Everybody's coming in, everybody's coming in and he's begging. And, and, and Peter and John walk by, and, and he asks them for some money. He's begging for money. In verse four, it says, Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. Look at me. Look at me, right? And the guy's looking at him, and it says he's looking, expecting some money. But Peter said this. He says, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, or in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And it says that he did this. He reached down and grabbed the man's hand and picked him up. When we see Jesus performing miracles, he asks them to take a step of faith, whoever was receiving it. For Peter, this was a step of faith for him, proclaiming healing in the name of Jesus reaching down, believing the authority that he has because of the authority that Jesus has been given, reaching down, picking him up, and it says that that he was healed. His ankles went back into place, his knees went back into place, and he began to walk, but he didn't just begin to walk. He walked, he ran, he leapt, all the while praising God. Then the gospel was presented, and thousands were added to the church again. And so when we look at culture, let's talk about the church, look at culture. The world has so much to offer, guys. From entertainment to numbing to relief to distractions, there's all these things the world has to offer. And when it comes to the church, we can't compete against that. In all reality, they also can't compete against what we have to offer. Because I think sometimes, and I'm trying like I I love the church, but sometimes in America, I think we are offering people alternatives with Jesus attached to it. But it's Jesus and nothing else. The church is not responsible for giving the world what it wants, but giving the world what it needs. The man wanted silver and gold. It would make him okay for the moment, but Peter and John realized, I don't have that, but I have something even greater. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And here's, here's the last statement. We can't give the world what we don't have. We can only give what we have. For us as a church, for you as a follower to give people Jesus, you have to be walking in that. Like we, everything we will do, I heard this statement like whatever you do to attract people, you have to do to keep people. And I know, like, I've been to Easter egg hunts to where you've got an Easter bunny and a helicopter and they're doing an egg drop and there's thousands of people there and they're reaching people, I get it. But I also know, as humans, if that's how we get there, we gotta, we gotta top that sometimes to keep people there. But scripture says, Jesus says this, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. I will draw all men to me. And so how we want to draw people here at Avenue Church, listen, we're gonna do the fun stuff. We're gonna celebrate baptisms. We'll have food trucks. When we get a place or we are rent a place, we might even have an Easter egg hunt because those are just fun. But we're not gonna lift an Easter bunny up in a helicopter. right? We're gonna lift Jesus up in everything that we do, even with that, even with that, and let him draw all men to him and people will stay. And hopefully you're here if you've been attending Avenue, not because of the great worship team and great preaching, but you're here because Jesus has called you here. Because then I'm not doing the work. The power's not on me. It's not on my ability, but it's on the power of Jesus' name. And so here's, here's what they did. Acts 5.42, it says, And every day in the temple from house to house, they continued to preach the message from house to house and in the temple, they continued to preach the message, which was this, Jesus is the Messiah. That's our goal as Avenue Church, is to preach that message, Jesus is the Messiah. That should be our goals as believers, to preach that message, Jesus is the Messiah. Can we pray together? With every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment, if that's you today and you've heard the gospel message before, maybe you have not made a decision, that non-decision was a decision. Or maybe at some point you were following Jesus, but then you walked away for a season and you're kind of living on your own, but the Holy Spirit's maybe drawing you back by his name, not my preaching, but by his name into relationship with him for forgiveness from your sins, for faith in him and power to live for him. We don't have to clean ourselves up. Scripture says that at just the right time while we were still sinners, God sent his son to die for us when we couldn't do it ourselves. It says that, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And he sent his son not to condemn the world but that through him the world might be saved. And if that's you today and you need to surrender your life to Christ and make that decision, I'm gonna ask you just to put your hand up so I know who I'm praying for. It doesn't save you but it lets me know that you need a savior. Awesome. And as I'm praying, what I invite you, those of you that raised your hand, or maybe you didn't, just start with the words, Jesus, I give you my life. That is repentance, that is surrender, that is acknowledgement of lordship. And It's not all that you're gonna say, but it's the beginning of an eternal relationship and life with him. So Father, I just come to you this morning and I thank you for the hands that were raised and even the hearts that were lifted an acknowledgement of your lordship, not choosing you as Lord, but acknowledging where you are at, that you are in the complete, total place of authority, that all things are under your rule, that all things have been forgiven by your work on the cross and that we have been given authority by your ascension into heaven. And so God, let forgiveness reign in this room right now. Any guilt or shame or conviction that brought us to this place today is removed and replaced with righteousness and forgiveness and right standing before you. God, for us as a church, as believers, help us to to be devoted to not just seeing wonders and signs and miracles and serving, but let us be driven by the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah. And we thank you for it. It's in the mighty name we pray. Amen.